focus on today is um, Easter is one of those things where it's all about Jesus. And, and in one sense, it is all about Jesus, but actually it's all about what Jesus has done for us. And so what I wanted to do is um, quite often uh, when you do an Easter message, um, it can be quite dark and quite somber and, and, and all of that stuff. And, and that's, that's great. Like, that's, that's fair. But actually, um, I love the fact that it wasn't, it wasn't just the fact that Jesus died for us. So Friday happened. And then Saturday happened, which is one of the darkest times in human history. You imagine being a disciple that had just seen your Saviour die the, the day before. Um, but the great thing is, is that Sunday's come. This is Resurrection Sunday. And so the thing is, is that if Jesus died on the cross... And that was all that he did. He died for our sins, died on the cross and that. Then basically he was just a really good man that had a really bad ending. Like he was basically a Game of, a Game of Thrones character. Alright? And so um, the thing is though, is that Jesus rose again. And because he rose again, that actually flips the story. It actually completely changes the story. See, because Jesus' end is different to what we expected, our end can be different as well. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to just show, um, over the last sort of two or, three, two or three weeks, if you haven't been here before, we've been doing sort of a uh, um, series on Jesus, which is probably a good thing to talk about at church. Game of Thrones, not so much. So um, we've been talking about Jesus, and there's a couple of things that we've, we've sort of taken away from it. Jesus was willing to hang out with everyone. Literally anyone. The only people that he was really reluctant to hang out with were the religious people. It's just truth. Um, Jesus was willing to stop for the one person. He was willing to, even on the way to crucifixion, even on the way to the triumphant entry, even on the way to the Last Supper, on the way to other really important things that he had to do, he actually was always willing to stop for the poor, the afflicted, the orphan, the isolated, and the loner. So if you're those people today, if you feel isolated, if you feel poor, if you feel like you're widowed, if you feel like you're an alien in your own skin, I've got some great news for you. Jesus is for you. That's right. And Jesus is willing to stop for you today. So if you've come here today just um, going, man, I'm not even sure why I'm here today. It's Easter. Uh, my husband, my wife has dragged me along, some other random person in my life. The thing is, is that Jesus is for everyone. And so you're going to hear a bit of a story today. Um, it's not going to be the cross story as such. It's actually what happened afterwards. And if you're here today, whether you accept this gift or whether you don't accept this gift, the great thing is, is that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. And so there's this gift that's freely available to us, and it's awesome. So what I wanted to do is, just for a start, um, I just wanted to sort of, um, I've got a video, which is actually um, a really powerful video that I come across um, just this week, and it's the don't say goodbye. It's, it's basically don't say goodbye, and it's sort of um, from the point of view of this is Jesus speaking on Friday. All right, so Rubes, if you can play that. Oh, that would be good. Yes. say goodbye. The people will shout my name. Pilate will tell them there's nothing I have done to deserve this, but they will refuse. Pilate 
will stay me beside Barabbas and a murderer, and they will choose him over me. Pilate will appeal to the priests, insist on simply whipping me to appease their fury, but they will shout it louder, crucify, crucify.
Speak. Be free. Don't say goodbye to me. Yes, you'll see them put the spear in my side. But remember, it's only Friday. So, you need not say goodbye. It's a pretty powerful thing when we start to think about the crucifixion, when we start to think about Jesus on the cross. And it's one of the reasons why, for some of us, um, we sometimes avoid doing it because it it evokes a a strong emotional response in us. Like, that's the the thing, is that um, the cross is really powerful. I'm a, I'm a first-generation believer. Like, um, basically what that means is that my, my nanny went to church and she prayed for me and stuff like that. Um, my parents and the entire other side of my family, um, they, they didn't believe. In fact, um, uh, church, like my form of rebellion was to go to church. <laughs> Suckers! <laughs> <laughs> Mum and Dad, I'm going to honour you. What are you doing, son? No. <laughs> Mum and Dad, I need more boundaries in my life. <laughs> Mum and Dad, I'm praying for you. But the thing is, is that um, the cross was for me. Jesus died for me. All of the worst stuff that, all the stuff that I hide in my life, all of the stuff that I, um, I'm ashamed of, um, that debt was paid. Not only up until this point in my life, as, as a, a new Christian growing up, as a first generation Christian, um, I don't know whether it was from my youth group leader or whatever, like we, but we sort of believed that if we sinned again, then it was almost like putting Jesus back up on the cross, which is a really, really weird thing to think. But if Jesus says that it is finished, it is done, it is complete, that means it doesn't matter how far you go into overdraft, how horrible you are, the worst things that have happened in your life, um, Jesus paid for that as well. What an incredibly freeing thing to know that. What an incredibly freeing thing to know that there is no way that you can make Jesus bankrupt of the debt that he paid for you. I, I love that thought. I love that thought of don't say goodbye. Every day, every time we hear a message about Jesus, every time we hear a message about the cross, we actually get a choice to, to choose him or to choose something else. And you know, if you choose him, you'll never, you'll never regret it. If you, if you choose something else, do you know what? It's okay. I honestly and fully believe that there'll be other opportunities for you to choose Jesus as well. And if you choose not to listen to my version of Jesus that I present to you today, that's absolutely okay. That's not on you. That's on me because I haven't been able to explain it particularly well. So my encouragement would be to keep searching. I'm just going to do two really, really simple things. Um, I wanted to tell you what happened after, like most of us, for, for those of you that, are, that know the Jesus narrative, you get to the point where you know, you know that Jesus died on the cross, but not actually what happened afterwards, and that's the story that I want to tell today. And I just want to tell that story really simply. Um, I'm just going to read it out, and I've got a couple of thoughts around it. And then um, we're going to have morning tea, and it's going to be awesome. 
So this is, so yesterday, one of the darkest days in human history, but it's not the end of the story. If Jesus died on the cross and that was it, he was a good man who met a terrible end, but he rose again. And so this is it. So Jesus actually gets put in a rich man's tomb. One of the, one of the um, city councillors actually offers up his, um, his tomb, like his family tomb for Jesus. So what they do is they bury him in um, burial cloths and they put him in this tomb. They roll a big stone over the front so that you don't get grave robbers and stuff like that. And then after three days, this is what happened. So that was on the Friday. So this is out of Luke 24, and it's out of the message. If you're the sort of person that one of the reasons why you don't read your Bible um, is because you find it really confusing wording, there's some great translations that are actually really, really good, and, and the message is one of them. It's just an everyday language. So this, um, this passage is called Looking for the Living One in a Cemetery. So it's Luke 24. At the crack of dawn on Sunday, the woman came to the tomb carrying the burial spices they'd prepared. They found the entrance stone rolled back from the tomb, so they walked in. But once inside, they could not find the body of the Master Jesus. They were puzzled, wondering what to make of this. Then out of nowhere, it seemed, two men, light cascading over them, stood there. The women were awestruck and bowed down in worship. The men said, why are you looking for the living one in a cemetery? He is not here, but raised up. Remember how he told you when you were still back in Galilee that he had to be handed over to sinners, be killed on a cross, and in three days rise up. Then they remembered Jesus' words. (laughs) It's really hard to remember Jesus on the bad days. They left the tomb and broke the news of all of this to the eleven and the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other woman with them kept telling these things to the apostles, but the apostles didn't believe a word of it. They thought they were making it all up. But Peter jumped to his feet and ran to the tomb. He He stooped to look in and saw a few grave clothes, that's all. He walked away puzzled, shaking his head. That same day, two of them were walking into the village of Maus, about seven miles out of Jerusalem. They were deep in conversation, going over all these things that had happened. In the middle of their talk and questions, Jesus came up and walked along with them, but they were not able to recognize who he was. He asked, what is this you're discussing so intently as you walk along? They just stood there long-faced like they had lost their best friend. Then one of them, his name was Cleopas, said, are you the only one in Jerusalem who has not heard what's happened during these last few days? He said, what has happened? They said, The things that happened to Jesus the Nazarene. He was a man of God, a prophet, dynamic in work and word, blessed by both God and all the people. Then our high priests and leaders betrayed him, got him sentenced to death and crucified him. And we had our hopes up that he was the one, the one that was about to deliver Israel. And now it is the third day since it happened. But now some of our women have completely confused us. Early this morning, they were at the tomb and couldn't find his body. They came back with the story that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of our friends went off to the tomb to check and found it empty, just as the woman said, but they didn't see Jesus. Then he said to them, so thick-headed, so slow-hearted. That's very encouraging. Thanks, Jesus. Why can't you simply believe all that the prophet said? Don't you see that these things had to happen, that the Messiah had to suffer and only then enter into his glory? Then he started at the beginning with the books of Moses and went on through all the prophets, pointing out everything in the scriptures that referred to him. I love that thought that even um, those that have been on the journey with Jesus for a while 
and Jesus has to go along beside them and go, okay, stop me where I, stop, you know, tell me where I lost you and I'll start again. They came to the edge of the village where they were headed. They acted as if they were going on, but they pressed them, stay and have supper with us. It is nearly evening. The day is done. So we went in with them and here is what happened. He sat down at the table with them, taking the bread. He blessed and broke and gave it to them. At that moment, open-eyed, wide-eyed, they recognized him and then he disappeared. Back and forth they talked. Didn't we feel on fire as he talked to us on the road and he opened up the scriptures for us? They didn't waste a minute because it was hope. They were up and on their way back to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and their friends gathered together, talking away. It's really happened. The master has been raised up. Simon saw it. Then the two went over everything that happened on the road and how they recognized him when he broke the bread. While they were saying all this, Jesus appeared to them and said, peace be with you. I love that that thought that the first thing that Jesus says to the disciples when he He comes into that place, that place where they feel hopeless, that place of despair. His first thing that, my peace be with you. How wonderful. How wonderful is that? They thought they were seeing a ghost and were scared half to death. Great response, guys. He continued with them. Don't be upset and don't let all these doubting questions take over. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. It's really me. Touch me. Look over me from head to toe. A ghost doesn't have muscle and bone like this. And as he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. They still couldn't believe what they were seeing. It was too much. It seemed too good to be true. And so he asked, do you have any food here? They gave him a piece of leftover fish that they had cooked. He took it and ate it right before their very eyes. Then he said, everything I told you while I was with you comes to this. All the things written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms have, have to be fulfilled. He went on to tell them, open their understanding of the word of God, showing them how to read their Bibles this way. He said, you can see it now. It is written that the Messiah suffers, rises from the dead on the third day, and then a total life change through the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed in his name to all nations. Everyone. All sin for all time. Starting from here, from Jerusalem. You're the first to hear it. You're the witnesses. What comes next is very important. I'm sending what my father promised to you. So stay here in the city. Until he arrives and you're equipped with power from on high. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And then he led them out of the city over to Bethany. Raising his hands, he blessed them. And while blessing them, took his leave, being carried up to heaven. What a wonderful thing. The first thing when they see Jesus again is he says, peace be with you. And even as he's being taken up to heaven, he's blessing them. He's praising them. He's speaking words over them. And so how do they respond? And they were on their knees worshipping him. They returned to Jerusalem bursting with joy. These hopeless people, these despairing people, these people that thought that their Messiah was not who they said, who he said he was. And they spent all their time in their temple praising God. Amen. See, this is the thing is that for um, in the nature of the time, people thought that when the Messiah came, it would be as like in this all-conquering Machine, a, like a, several times throughout the life of Jesus, um, his disciples asked him, "Are you going to destroy the Romans now? Are you going to destroy the Romans now? Are you going to cast them down? Are you going to are you going to drown them? What are you, how are you going to do it?" But the thing is, is that Jesus came not to accrue power; he came to give it up. 
See, Jesus was the greatest man in history. He had no servants, yet they called him master. He had no degree, yet they called him teacher. He had no medicines, yet they called him healer. He had no army, yet kings feared him. He won no military battles, yet he conquered the world. He committed no crime, yet they crucified him. He was buried in a tomb, yet he lives today. His name is Jesus. See, the thing is, is that what Jesus did for us on the cross um, is so complicated that theologians have been arguing about it for 2,000 years, about how it actually worked. There's all kinds of words. There's ransom, which we make sense. Like, so Jesus ransomed himself for us. There's atonement, which means Jesus paid our punishment. There's substitution, which means Jesus stood in our place. And then there's this other word that we use all the time that we don't actually even realize, and it's called the scapegoat. Jesus was our scapegoat. Now, I'm a teacher. Occasionally, I'll pick a student who's going to be my scapegoat, and they will wear everything. I'm feeling bad, and you're going to wear it as well. That's not true, but that's... Uh, Sometimes I feel like that. But actually, Jesus was our scapegoat. And the really great thing is that, um, you know, the word scapegoat, it it actually comes from the Bible. Believe it or not, it comes from Leviticus, which is a really long book of rules. It's what's known as the the book of the law, but there's an incredible thing in there. So there's this, basically it was like how to make sacrifices, what would it look like? Um, But the most important one was the sacrifice of Yom Kippur which is otherwise known as the Day of Atonement. And this is what happened, and this is what's really important. So they get two sacrifices, right? So two goats, normally goats. So they get the two goats, and they cast lots. And one of the goats is going to be an innocent sacrifice. So basically what happens is that goat is just sacrificed for the sins of all Israel. Then you get the other goat, and the goat is actually the scapegoat. And what happens is that the priest will actually place his hands on the goat, And all of the sins of Israel would be symbolically placed on the goat. And then the goat would actually carry the sins out into the wilderness. And so that was the scapegoat. So one one sacrifice for atonement, one sacrifice to carry the sins of the world, uh, the sins of a country. And that's the same for Jesus. Hey, he endured the shame and the suffering we all deserve so that we don't have to. He was the greatest sacrifice, the greatest display of unconditional love. Willingly, he died a death and paid the price that we could not pay. He taught us that to be truly great, we need to lower ourselves for the sake of others. Crucifixion was regarded as the lowest punishment. It was the worst one that the Roman civilization could come up with. Yet Jesus endured the cross, knowing that he could pay for what we could not. See, the thing is, is often we find ourselves frozen at the foot of the cross, but that's not the end of the story. The resurrection proved that Jesus was who he said he was and did what he said he was going to do. The final words of John 16 sum up the importance of seeing um, Christ's death and resurrection together. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I don't know what problems you're facing. I don't know what issues you're going through. But take heart, for Jesus has overcome the world. Your sin, your shame, your wrongdoing, your problems... There's grace enough for you today. Through death, Christ overcame sin, and through the resurrection, Christ overcame death itself. What more could cause us to take heart in this? In the span of three days, Christ has turned the powers of darkness over and birthed the joy of resurrection life into the world, but not before passing through death and darkness itself. So life and death, 
cross and resurrection, to know full well the magnificence of Christ's power, we must cling both to the cross and to the resurrection. Only then will the story be complete. It is finished. Here's a, I just wanted to finish with a, um, a poem um, that I've got a great friend over in Australia, and she, um, um, she actually wrote this poem this week, and I thought it was kind of cool. So I just wanted to um, share it with you. Uh, her name's Lisa Gowan. She's, she's awesome. She's really cool. She's from a place called Aladala. I just wanted to say that because then it's not plagiarism. I've asked her. It's okay. So this is how it goes. It is finished. The greatest defeat is not always defeat. Don't see the forest and forget that soul tree. Arms open wide. Nails driven deep. Blood mixed with tears. Stains red the ground. Upside down justice. The sacrifice made for once and for all. His choice was made. Now the choice is mine and it's yours. Defeat is not defeat when death loses its keys. Defeat is not defeat in the light of the third day. Creation's breath that was paused now breathes deep again. The stone rolls back. Darkness empty. Death is broken by body broken. A light floods in. A new dawn. A new day. A new era. A new life. Victory thought lost is born once again. Breathe it in. Take a moment. Pause. And reflect. Don't miss the forest for grief at that tree. Since creation's first breath, redemption, restoration, stealing death's key. A plan set in motion since time began. Fulfilled on the cross by a God become man. There is more to this life than my troubles today. There's a hope and a future and a light shines the way. Be not trapped in your past nor in fear of what's next. Breathe in this moment and trust God with the rest. The cross is a symptom of the need of mankind. The cross is a symbol of hope to be found. The cross is my way, my truth, my life. My saviour is Jesus, once dead, now alive. So here's the question then, how do we respond to this? Knowing what Jesus has done for us, how do we respond? How else can we respond? With faith. With curiosity of knowing the person who would do this for us, for you and for me. With thanksgiving, thank you Jesus, our debt paid in full. find myself at the, foot of the, at the foot of the cross time and again, but I love the fact that that's not the end of the story. I, think, I, I love the fact that we worship an empty cross. Jesus isn't there anymore. So what we're going to do is we're just going to um, we're going to get um, our worship team up just one more time. Here's my, here's my thought. Here's my thought. You might have heard it before. You might have heard it a thousand times. But I guess as we, on this Resurrection Sunday, choose Jesus urgently today. Say yes to him. Come to him. If you've never said yes before, try him out. I know that Jesus is good.
because he's journeyed with me for 30 years now, over 30 years. See, if you're one of those people that sort of thinks that God's the angry God, the one that's just here for punishment, the one that's just here for um, ready with the hammer to stomp us down. Now that's whack-a-mole. You'll find that in a game over. It's um, completely different. But it says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And I love that. But so often we miss the next verse. And this is the one that's for you if you think that we've got an angry God. For God did not send his Son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I love that thought. See, the thing is, is that we can live this life one of two ways. We can either live this life our way, and I don't know about you, but any time I've tried to live my wife, my wife, live my life my way, I've actually made a bit of a mess of it. I'm so thankful that Jesus took me out of the mess I was in, and the mess that I occasionally still get myself in, and that he's gracious to me, and that he loves me. And that he would look at me and look at my mess and look at my hopelessness and tell me that there is hope. There is hope. There is hope. So choose our way or choose his way. What we're going to do is we're just going to um, have one more song. We'd love for you to, um, love for you to get up and, um, and just um, worship. But I'd love to pray for you. So let's just bow our heads. Lord, I thank you for this wonderful group of people. I thank you so much that even when we were sinners, you still died for us. Lord, I I love the fact that not only did you die for us, but you rose again. That you made a way for us where there was no way. That we can have a hope and a future. That we we need not fear death. That we, we need not live in the past that we've had. And we need not fear the future either. But Lord, that we can just stand here and breathe with you now. Lord, I pray for your Holy Spirit. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us every single day. And Lord, that you would draw us closer to us on this Resurrection Sunday. In Jesus' name. Amen.